So once you have a strong community, um, you'll you'll get to see people kind of step up and almost take on like volunteer roles. And so these are, you know, your kind of like your key ambassadors for the brand. And you can definitely like leverage these people. It's a win-win when you delegate decision-making. And, you know, a lot of people are really afraid of that. But to be honest, like you got to go out at some point and tell, you know, teach them how to fish, for example. You can't always fish for them. You have a product that you're launching and you've built these relationships with these influencers. You can definitely like give them the products and tell them, hey, on this day, this is what we're announcing. Like, um, if you're up for this, like I'll, we'll send you whatever products that you need and, and maybe, you know, monetary value as well. But um, this is what we're doing at this time. Like, please announce it. And, and so that kind of has this like, you know, like a, like a press release effect where everyone finds out about it at the same time. Uh, and so that's really the only way that I've seen that uh, a brand kind of launch with that kind of bang. So on today's episode, we're going to speak to the leader and CEO of a community-driven e-commerce brand platform called Urban EDC. We'll be finding out how to use the psychology of novelty, exclusivity, and urgency to build engaging communities around your brand and products. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast hosted by Kunle Campbell. Hello there. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I am joined by Yong Su Chong, who is the founder and CEO of Urban EDC and GrowthJet. Urban EDC or Urban Everyday Carry is a community-driven e-commerce platform that curates and sells artisan crafted everyday carry gear like notebooks, pens, knives, wallets, and bottle openers. They operate on the premise of exclusivity and urgency through their limited edition weekly product drops from top makers that get their community members constantly excited. Young's second company, GrowthJet, is a climate-neutral certified third-party logistics or 3PL company based out just of the south of San Francisco. So why should you listen to this episode? Well, Yongsu breaks down the building blocks he's used and is still using to build a strong and remarkable brand. A strong brand that will help you stand out in a crowded market, build trust with your customers and increase customer loyalty. Youngsu also speaks a lot on how to leverage customer data to get valuable insights into your customers' behavior, preferences, and needs. In his words, by analyzing customer data, you can identify areas where your business can improve and make data-driven decisions to optimize your operations. Youngsu also covers how he has experimented with different marketing channels for Urban EDC and his other portfolio brands. They have heavily utilized and leveraged social media, email marketing, influencer marketing, and paid advertising. Fourth, we talk about automation, tech, and the importance of staying curious and continuously learning as an e-commerce entrepreneur. So if you want to delve into detail, the detail of how Yongsu has grown and is profitably managing his 10 million plus e-commerce empire, well, You've got to pay attention and let's just get started. 
Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Let's talk about the importance of retention in e-commerce growth and the role that marketing automation plays in achieving it. When it comes to marketing automation, the gold standard platform for e-commerce is Klaviyo. I've been using Klaviyo since 2017 and I've watched it evolve from an email-only platform to a unified customer platform with integrated email and SMS capabilities. Not only have I watched it evolve, but I've been able to use Klaviyo to roll out highly targeted messaging flows to VIPs and high-risk customers who are about to churn, and even implement on-site behavior-triggered message flows, all with high deliverability rates. I've never once had to worry about not being able to use Klaviyo for even my wildest automation and optimization dreams because Klaviyo has deep integration with my tech stack with over 300 integrations. It's no wonder why over 100,000 brands trust Klaviyo, including big names like Glossier, Iconic London, Wilkinson Sword, Italis, Grind, and Blender's Eyewear. And at Octelian, where we acquire digital native brands in both the health and beauty and the food and beverage industries. We use Klaviyo in our portfolio brands like Lean Caffeine. With Klaviyo, you will have a single platform to personalize at scale and connect with your customers to grow more profitably and sustainably on your own terms without having to rely on expensive strategies like paid advertising. So don't wait Try Clavio today and take control of your e-commerce growth. Get a free trial at clavio.com slash 2x. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash 2x. Hey, Yongsu, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Kunle. I really appreciate it. No, it's, it's, it's been a long time coming. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, where do we start? Where do we start? Let's start out with, with who you are. You know, let, let's start out with, with, with where did you grow up? What, what was your childhood like and how has it been instrumental to, to where you are now? I'd really like to make that connection. Absolutely. So actually, I was born in uh, South Korea. And so came here when I was about eight years old and actually learned English as a second language. But now it's funny, it's flipped where my English is a lot better than my Korean now. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I guess you could say I'm like a 1.5 generation um, Korean American immigrant. And growing up, you know, I actually went to a very, um, I guess preppy white high school, uh, private high school, and I was the part, you know the percentage of Asians in that community was very small, and you know the people that I was surrounded with, you know some of these some of these classmates, you know their their parents were you know C level execs at some of the biggest companies that you would recognize and. I didn't know that at the time because I was just a little, you know, I was a kid. But um, growing up, growing up in that environment, I don't know. I just felt like there was um, just kind of this inner drive for me to to kind of I don't know, just make my own path and and just kind of make it in this world. Um, I don't know. It really drove me to be like, okay, you know, I 
want to make a name for myself. I always knew I wanted to start a company one day. I just didn't know what company I would start. But I just had this big dream of, you know, doing something very impactful uh, in this world, uh, in my life. And I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, but I, I mean, part of it has to be, you know, this whole immigrant thing with growing up in a, yeah. in a society where I'm kind of a foreigner. Um, and so I did have that inner drive from, from the start. Um, and so I graduated from high school, went to college, a liberal arts college up in Maine, and then graduated mm-hmm. in 2009, which is right in the middle mm-hmm. of the Great Recession, you recall. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually in, um, in finance at the time. And so graduated, uh, went into finance, uh, actually was fortunate enough to find a job on Wall Street in 2009. And, um, I was doing finance for a couple of years. And, you know, during that time, I had this urge to start a side hustle. So I actually tried a few different things. You know, I was actually, uh, I was writing for a personal finance blog uh, and I got paid $25 for every blog post that I wrote. And, you know, it took me a couple hours to write each blog post. So pretty sure that I was like below minimum wage at the time. Um, <laughs> Way below. Um, so, but then, you know, I got a taste of what that was. Right. And, and that was more important to me mm-hmm. as like, wow, like I can actually make money doing something on my own rather than waiting for that paycheck every two weeks. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. so that realization really made me, um, motivated to continue. And I actually wanted to start like an iPhone app development company, um, around that time. And this is, you know, back in 2009. So iPhone app economy was just starting to take off. And I created a simple, um, or I guess I I worked with a company in Ukraine, a development company. And the idea for the app was um, essentially a geofencing app where if you go to a location like a church or library, it'll detect that you're in a location where you're supposed to silence your phone and it'll silence it for you. And so, so that was the, like, that was the idea for it. But then I quickly realized that um, silencing your phone is really difficult because, uh, you know, the iPhone has this physical button that you're supposed to, um, you know, click up or down to silence your phone. And so that didn't work out. And so we pivoted into like a group chat app. Um, And back then there were no group chat and Facebook groups didn't even exist at the time, right? So um, I wanted to make something where, um, you know, you could talk to your family, you can talk to your camping friends, like all these like different subsets of your life that, um, you know, you have different personas, right? And so um, that was kind of an idea that I had, um, which obviously now there's tons of group messaging apps. Um, But then right around the time I actually got, uh, I got laid off from that first company that I was working at. And so I decided to shut down all these projects. I'm like, okay, this is bad time. We're in the middle of the Great Recession. Um, and so those side hustles kind of stopped there. And then I realized that if I wanted to be, uh, you know, involved in tech, I needed to surround myself in the environment of startups. And so I bought a one-way ticket to Berkeley, uh, which is in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. um, I, I moved there 
with just one suitcase. And I only knew two friends, one high school friend and one college friend. And from then on, you know, I, I was sleeping, I was crashing with a high school friend of mine um, for three months on the floor on an aero mattress. And I don't know if you've ever slept on air mattresses for a long period of time, but like your back starts to really hurt after a while. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyways, so um, I was there and I was looking for an apartment and a job at the same time. And finally, I, I landed a job at a startup and I was doing the business development for them. And so I was, you know, I was on cloud nine because I was flying to um, Austin, Texas to attend South by Southwest. I met, you know, Julio, the rapper, he stayed with us at our, the house that we were at. Uh, I met Mark Cuban. I mean, it was like crazy. And I was like, wow, this is like my new life now. <laughs> like, um, it's insane. Um, and so I was doing that for a couple of years. And then the company was largely funded by venture capitalists. Um, and the funding actually went dry. And so they actually had to make some, make some cuts. And I was part of that cut. So here I was again, I was laid off and, you know, I, I didn't really know what to do. Um, but I remember why I moved to San Francisco in the first place, which is to start my own company one day. Um, but you know, I didn't know engineering and I felt like that was a core skill that I needed to know. And so I actually did a, a 12 week intensive software engineering bootcamp where literally Monday through Saturday you know, 8 a.m. till 9 p.m. I was just coding all day. And it was a really intense 12, 13 weeks. Um, and You're so, a finance major. I'm a finance major, yeah. Or e econ major, but yeah, wow. finance specific. Econ, okay, um, okay. Um, and so I what did the software engineering program. And then um, the first interview I, I, I went to after this program, I, it was like, it was so bad that they actually told me to leave in the middle of the interview because I had four interviews lined up. After the first two interviews, they said, it's not worth our time. Like, please like leave, leave our office. And so I was like, so devastated. I was like, all right, this is going to be terrible. Um, but then two days later, I interviewed at um, a company that is in the blockchain space. And that company, it was almost like a match made in heaven because they were looking for someone to build out a trading platform and I already had that background from my days in New York. And so they accepted me. And so I became an early employee at this company. Uh, this is back in 2014. So March 2014 is when I joined this company. Uh, and so... What's the name of the company? Uh, it's called Ripple. Ripple? No, no, Ripple, yeah. And then so I, I was there for about a year and a half. And I realized, though, that... Um, there's a lot of financial regulation stuff that was happening there. And literally our team at one point was told to stop building our product because they needed regulatory clarity before we moved on. And so I remember one Friday, we actually all went to go see a Pixar movie together because we, we had nothing to do. And it was kind of a crazy mm -hmm. moment because we had so much momentum going for us, but we were being told to stop this cold stop. Right. And it was just so weird to me. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm one of those guys where I, I need to keep moving. I need to continue to see progress. And I just couldn't stand just, just like going to work and, and not really doing anything. And so I decided to leave. Uh, this is towards the end of 2015. Uh, so I left 
then and started my company called Urban EDC. And so EDC stands for everyday carry and things that you carry on a daily basis, like your wallet, a pen, a flashlight, a bottle opener, maybe. Um, and so that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey. Okay. So EDC, so, so first of all, there's so much to, to, to unpick, you know, from, from there. My takeaway is you take risk. You know, having taken a, that one-way ticket to, 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 to Berkeley, to University of Berkeley, then being a finance major and saying, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go for a 12-week intensive course in software development to, 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 to essentially move, change career. Um, that's, that to me is just resilient, you know, from, from, from then on. So I guess... My question is like your why with Urban EDC, mm. Everyday Carry. Everyday Carry, is it Everyday Carry for a man? Is it, is it, was it like a manly brand? Was it from your personal experience? Um, did, it, did, you, did you launch it as a necessity or I just want to make money? Or was there a bigger purpose and reason for setting up you know, um, urban, uh, urban EDC? Yeah, good question, Kunle. So I honestly didn't really know what I was getting myself into at the start. And a lot of my colleagues thought I was crazy, right? Because I'm I here I am. I'm in I'm in Silicon Valley working at a hot blockchain startup. And I leave to start selling knives online. Um, and that didn't make, really make sense to a lot of people. And um for me, it was actually more about just having the autonomy and the freedom to be able to kind of work on whatever I wanted to work on. And, you know, I was looking at things from the perspective of like, okay, so we've got two forces, we got time and we got money. And so from a time perspective, I was looking at like, you know, how was I spending my time on a regular basis? And then on the money base, on, on the money aspect, I was looking at like my credit card statements and seeing what I was spending my money on. And it turns out that I was really, you know, I was buying a lot of these um, things like titanium pens or these desktop, um, what is it, like tops, like spinning tops and just things that were well-machined and, um, you know, just everything fit into this category of everyday carry. And at that point, I I, kind of had a sense that this is the area that I wanted to get into, but I still didn't really have, um, you know, like a why that was just beyond myself. Um, but as I was building this out and, you know, as I grew my team, um, I've realized that my why and my purpose is actually beyond myself now. And it's to empower the employees at my company to become leaders themselves. And I think that actually shifted a lot for me because now I was no longer doing this for myself, but I was doing it for others. And to be honest, that, that shifted my mentality unlocked a lot of doors for me. Um, and so, so yeah. Going back to the um, everyday car- carry category, how big is it? You know, what, what cons- it seems general, it's, it's not like homeware or garden or, and, and who are the major players in, in this everyday carry? It seems to be a thing 
Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to break that down for me as, as a novice? Sure. So I'd say the, the knife industry as a whole has existed for a long time. And I know that in the UK, it's, you know, quite prohibitive to have knives and carry knives. Um, but here in the US, it's, it's a very common thing, especially down in the South. And um, to be honest, like a lot of people carry knives, not to, I, I know it sounds kind of silly, but they don't carry the knife to really use it that often. They, they carry it more as like an accessory. It's almost like a, you know, almost like a, I don't know, like a purse. A lighter? But instead of, yeah, like a lighter. Yeah, whatever it is, like it's like, why are you carrying that specific lighter, right? It's got to be, you know, it's some kind of uh, pers- personality attached to it, right? Like, oh, I'm carrying this right. because it was passed down from my grandfather or whatever. There's some personal meaning behind it. And so a lot of people, um, they carry a knife because, um, you know, it has that special meaning behind it. And they carry that specific knife for that specific oca- occasion. Uh, because of of these deeper meanings. And so a lot of these guys are collectors. And so um, they really appreciate the design aspects of how the knife was made. And so it's not much about like, oh, you know, just get any old knife and just, you know, open boxes with it. Like it's, it's, it's definitely deeper than that. It's more about like, oh, like what, why did the designer choose to, you know, design the knife in, in this way? And so you can really geek out about knives. And, and to be honest, Kunle, I wasn't a knife collector when I started Urban EDC, but I've soon gone down that rabbit hole. And it's, it's a really interesting and intriguing world out there with knives. And I know that it's, it's I guess if you're not into knives, it's kind of weird, but um, I mean, there's a whole community that's super passionate about it. And it's really about um, bringing that community together and showing off like, Oh, check out this knife that I've had for, I don't know, like 20 years, 30 years and just showing it to people. And there's a story behind that. And I think that is where like Mm -hmm. the power is, is, is the meaning and the story behind each of these items. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. If you're looking to take your e-commerce growth to the next level, I highly recommend checking out Recharge for your recurring payments and subscription management needs. With Recharge, you'll be able to streamline your recurring payments, create predictability, and even further automate your business. So don't wait. Get started with the subscription platform trusted by over 50 million subscribers across the world. Try Recharge today and see how it can help you retain your customers and grow your business. So head over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. And everyday carry transcends knives, right? There are many other, I know mm-hmm. knife is the leading product in, in this category, but there, there are many other things. There's bottle openers, flashlights, yep. fidget yep. toys, chain keys, right? Okay, yes. but it's really the craftsmanship involved. It's like wearing a really good wristwatch or, you know, um, just being very particular about, you know, what, what you carry or don on yourself. Now, you guys have a very unique business model at Urban EDC. 
you utilize drops, product drops, weekly product drops. Now, mm-hmm. from in, in my head, what, what I'm thinking is this has draws parallels with a publishing business, you know, um, whether it's a daily publishing business or a weekly publishing business, there's an audience, there's an anticipation on the audience. You, you launch the product to market or you launch whatever it is to, to market. And then there's a reaction, you get feedback and then you iterate where you have to turn up every week with something new. how do you manage with with that what does the team look like on the back end um how far do you plan it's like a podcast actually it's like a podcast so i i i do this podcast every tuesday and you know i i, I think on a good month i know i going to know my next four or five episodes so so how do you plan it, plan this out yeah um, do you want to break down the the model um on the back end so e-commerce operators listening to this can, you know, sort of get a, a grasp of, of how, you know, where you're coming from. Absolutely. So I guess I should give you some background on kind of like the types of products that we bring into the shop. So um, we work with all sorts of different makers and designers uh, all around the world. And we have the ability to work with them on small quantities because the culture of the everyday carry community is actually one where, you know, some guy in his garage is making 10 pens, for example, and he sells them on Instagram mm. and they sell out in seconds. And so that's the culture mm. of this everyday carry community. And so we wanted to bring that experience to our customers on a weekly basis. And we haven't deviated away from the Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific time gear drop for years. And there's a purpose behind that. And that's because we're training our customers to know that, hey, if you come here at this time each week, we have really cool stuff that you're probably going to want to check out. And Mm -hmm. what's happened here is actually, it's, it's so funny because we have customers literally like setting alarm clocks for 12 o'clock on Wednesdays. So they don't miss out on our drops. And Mm -hmm. It's like a, you know, a conditioning where, you know, we've, we've actually had people telling us like, Hey, I actually run a law firm and I told all five of my employees to jump on the website at 12 PM Pacific time on Wednesday to try to score this flashlight. That's really hard to buy. And Mm -hmm. the funny thing is none of them were able to buy it at that time. And, and the guy got really upset at me being like, yo, you how can how can how is this possible? Like I got all my team trying to get this product, and none of them were able to buy it. And so, um, and so we've kind of created this like, I don't know, this hype and anticipation of these drops. And you're right; it does take a lot of coordination and a lot of scheduling. But I genuinely believe that getting that hype level up each week has been one of the best. I guess marketing decisions that we've made because it really like you know people get really jazzed up and they know it's going to be there at twelve uh, one Wednesdays and it's like yeah it's a really interesting thing that we've created there with these weekly drops um, and so yeah we have a calendar uh, we work with a lot of makers we the moment we make a purchase we use Notion we put it in, into the database um, 
we schedule the drop. So for example, if we buy something today, purchase inventory today, then um, you know, we'll put it out maybe like, I don't know, six weeks out. And so it's scheduled. And of okay. course, sometimes we have to adjust the schedule because there'll be delays and stuff. Um, but at least it's, it's there. And we know that we've purchased it and it's there in the database. And then um, you know, we'll, we'll start planning a little bit of like sneak peeks and hyping it up about a week before. Mm-hmm. And so we'll let people know, hey, by the way, this is coming this week. You don't want to miss out. And so uh, we have content scheduled before the drops. And then we have content scheduled literally like the moment it goes up and then we, and then mm-hmm. throughout that, uh, the rest of the week, we will publish content around the products that are still available. Um, a lot of it will sell out instantly. And so those things we don't want to push because then people will just get really upset at us. Um, mm-hmm. But we will essentially keep pushing content out that is surrounding that this gear drop event that, um, that, that occurs each week. Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of work, but, but but worth it because there's the novelty. You know, there's that anticipation, mm-hmm. and they they just want that novelty on a regular basis. And given the fact that they are of a certain psychographic, they think a certain way, they appreciate certain types of artisan works, you know, and design. They want to turn up to buy something unique, and they know it's not going to be there you know, um, next week. So, so they're there, they, you turn it, it, they keep turning up and up again. So, so just looping back to our conversation before we hit record, it, it looks like there are two key pillars in, 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 in your business. One is the collaborative side, which is the back end where you're, you're, you're collaborating with, with artisans, with, with producers, essentially. And, and, and then the other is community which is which is what you have that's your core asset and you're you're, you're essentially bringing and merging them on a weekly basis on a regular basis um to to together now looking at the 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 just look at starting up with the collaborators you know in terms of like the the the, the artisans i'm are you getting inbound now that you know you're so big you know do do you just do you still hunt for for, for, for manufacturers or um, is, is just, you just made a name. It's, it's kind of like with the podcast, we still do hunting with a podcast um, because we don't want to be like every other show because if we wait for podcast agencies to present guests to us, then we'll sound like every other podcast. So, so I actively go to LinkedIn. I myself go to LinkedIn and, you know, whenever I see someone really interesting in this space, I would just, I'll reach them and say, "Hey, would you like to come on the podcast?" So, so w- what is the process with, with 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 yourselves? Absolutely. So, this is a great point. So, when we first started back in 2015 and 2016, we were pitching, you know, brands all the time, and we were hearing no after no after no, and it was a really really frustrating experience. And I I almost gave up. You know, it, it was um, it was it was a really rough time, and you know. Looking back on it now, I, I just feel like when you first start, that is really the toughest point because no one knows who you are, no one cares about you, and why should they work with you? Because you don't have anything that you can offer them. You don't have an audience. You know, you don't have a big social media following or whatever. And so, in the beginning, 
I mean, we heard more no's than yeses for sure. Uh, but the, the yeses that you have, those are the leverage points you got to start building and, and compounding. And so, you know, each week we just tried and tried and tried and, and just built it up slowly. And then at a certain point, it just kind of like, you know, people started coming to us. And like you said, Kunlei, the people coming to us are not necessarily the ones that you want to work with. Um, you you, you want to be the ones that proactively reach out and expand your audience reach. And so now, um, you know, people are reaching out to us all the time and some of them are great. And so, of course, we, you know, we work with them. Um, but a lot of times our work is still not done. We, we're still reaching for the brands and the collaborators that are just outside of our reach because we, that's how, that's how we know we're going to be continue to grow. Right. So, um, so we, we actually started working with a lot of, um, big content creators now. And so, um, we actually have, have one deal and specifically that I, I, I can't share it cause it's not, uh, we haven't publicly announced it yet, but, um, that YouTube channel has like tens of millions of subscribers and we had to really work with them like for months before we convinced them to do this project with us. And, but then they got on board and they're really excited about it. And we're really close to uh, launching this project now. And so in a way, yeah, I mean, you get people coming in and you, you know, you're very thankful because in the early days, everybody said no. Um, but you know, now, even though we've kind of built our reputation and people are coming to us, you still don't want to take all those people coming to you because you, you still want to be expanding your own network and your own circles and your reach. And so I guess the approach hasn't changed that much. It's, it's I guess, more about the magnitude of you know, the people that you were reaching out to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, as you grow, you... You know, you, you know what you want. Your 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 tastes change, and um, that actually gives you more of a recognition, more more of a back end because you you have success behind you. So when you approach the desirable partners, they see the credibility. Credibility is actually the word I was trying to. So you you know, as you grow, you you're building your credibility, and that credibility actually gives you more opportunities. Know, for you to, to to reach out to 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 those brands that you really and creators that you really want to collaborate with, mm -hmm. and then on the community building side, you're not allowed to advertise knives. Knives is your leading um, artisan knives are, are your leading um, you know products at, at, at you know in 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 in, in urban um, urban EDC. How do you? How, do you, how have you built, how big is a community? You know, what, what's, and, and how have you built community? Mm -hmm. And what is the primary way customers love to be communicated with? What's the primary medium you communicate best with customers on? Great, great question. So um, our community, so we have about 169,000 followers on Instagram. And, um, our email list is close to a hundred thousand subscribers. And so I would say the email is our primary method. And it's, it's very, very important because the way I see it is like Instagram and all these other platforms are, are discovery platforms. And so those, those platforms, you know, you, you're essentially borrowing audience from, you know, 
Instagram or YouTube, um, you you don't really own them. Yeah, they they might follow you, but then one small tweak of the algorithm and like no one will see your posts, right? So it's a really a delicate balance of of getting followers on these discovery platforms and then having an enticing uh, offer or some kind of you know motive to get on the website where where you can kind of um, get their email address. And then from then on, you own that relationship with that customer, potential customer. And so I would say mm-hmm. that um, a newsletter is is critical um, for building a sustainable brand. And that's been our, our driver. Like each Wednesday, like we talked about earlier, like the newsletter goes out and like we see a huge spike. And each week I can see our open rates are increasing or our, our opens are increasing uh, because our email list is increasing. And, and that's correlated really nicely with with our revenue. Uh, and so I would say definitely like uh, email is, is a core part of what we do. We also do SMS. And so we mm-hmm. do have a text um, campaign that goes out. And those are kind of, uh, you know, we call it the underground. And so these are deals that we don't advertise anywhere. And so, um, you know, these could be very attractive offers. Uh, but a lot of the, you know, brands don't want their products to be discounted on the website. So what we can do is we can actually go through SMS and that that way um, customers feel like they're getting a really cool deal. No one really knows about it and we can move inventory that's that's not moving as quickly. Um, so yeah, email, uh, SMS, um, and then yeah, the discovery platforms we're on right now, um, Instagram. Uh, we are quickly growing on TikTok as well. Um, we're doing YouTube mm-hmm. shorts. Um, we're also on Twitter, um, and yeah, we we were on Pinterest earlier, but we've kind of um, gone away from that a bit recently. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the primary channels that we acquire our, our customers. And then going back to the community aspect, and so this is really important. I uh, we, we want to make sure that each person that comes into our network becomes an advocate of the brand, and so. How do you make someone love your brand? They have to have a fantastic customer experience. And then that customer experience has to be kind of like a, a, like a network effect. And so, um, you know, we have a free Facebook group that people are invited to when they purchase. And so we send follow-up emails and say, hey, how do you like your product? Oh, by the way, we have this community on Facebook if you want to join. Um, and we're able to leverage our community. And so they f- feel like they're part of something. Um, and then actually most recently we launched a, a paid membership, uh, called Yamato club. And, uh, this is an interesting experiment that we're doing that is working out really well for us. And so people are paying $9 a month to join this community. It's a discord server. And essentially these are like our, our top customers that we have. And, you know, we have a, a very lively conversations in there. And then, um, we're actually curating kind of like these mini drops for them. And so we're almost like, it's almost like a, like a paywalled shop that only they can access. And so I really feel like doubling down on a community and, and this kind of, um, exclusive access to the community is going to be a bigger trend for e-commerce. Um, Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's a lot of brands now and, brand affinity and building a strong brand is really going to differentiate, uh, you know, one brand from another. And so 
definitely double down on the community and, and build an experience for them that you know, they can't refuse. Mm. Mm. And what about like moderation? You're talking about customer experience, you know, with, with an e-commerce business, there's so many layers to customer experience, you know, whether it's the returns process, whether it's the on-site UX, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the post-purchase experience, there's so much. Now, how do you manage also extending that level of care with managing a community because things can get really wild in, in the community, particularly Discord. Yes. Good call. So uh, it's, it's important. So once you have a strong community, um, you'll, you'll get to see people kind of step up and almost take on like volunteer roles. And so these are, you know, your kind of like your key ambassadors for the brand. And you can definitely like leverage these people. And they, you know, of course you can, you you take good care of them. So you can, you know, give them whatever discount codes or free gear from time to time. Uh, But they're not necessarily like part of your team. They're part of the community. And I think that is, is what's more, more powerful is that these self governing communities with moderators that are from your community, they're not even part of your team. And so when someone let's say is unhappy with like, I don't know, like there's a problem with shipping, right? And they're like writing on Discord, being like, oh, you know, I can't believe they did this, whatever. Then the moderator who is not part of our team is stepping in and say, hey, by the way, they're really good with customer support. Like, just reach out to them. And so we've actually had times when our customers, like somebody would post something negative about us. And then our our other customers actually come in and like, it's like a swarm of like people that are like, this like you're you're not getting the point here like you need to reach out to them like they they are so good like you you know and so they actually like stand up for us and i think that's like the most powerful thing is like when you have customers who advocate for that experience um then you know you can't really can kind of scale that way yeah raven fans there's there's a use case there was a brand i was working with and excuse me (laughs) they were into the the automotive, you know, space. And, um, when you run Facebook ads for them, and I know you're not allowed to run Facebook ads with, um, with, with the knives, but when you, when you run Facebook ads for them, what happened is their customers, you we, we wouldn't put exclusions on the Facebook ads for, for a reason. The reason why I wouldn't do that is because their customers will just jump into the comments and share their projects on there. So that was like social proof right there. So you'd have like one ad with 20, 30 comments on there with, with their finished projects. So for somebody who's like a, you know, Dalton Jones, he's looking at it and he's like, shit, you know, these guys are for real. They're legit. These are not bots. These are real projects because they're so diverse. Mm -hmm. And, and that just used to essentially turbocharge the performance of the ads because it was like a self-perpetuating, you know, um, situation there. And it was just, just amazing. So in, you, you get that privilege in these groups where everybody is like in the same mind that we, you know, we care about, you know, the brand urban EDC and, and, and that's it. That, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. Let's flesh out 
the the way your business works. We we have the collaborators, which essentially is your supply chain, it's your back end. Um, do you have a supply chain manager on there? Um, or do you you still sort of paying that special attention to detail? Do you still handpick or um do you have someone to do it for you? Yeah. So we have someone that's been with us for a very long time. Um, he actually started off in mm-hmm. customer support um, and worked himself up to um, now. He's the brand manager of, of Urban DC. And so he's the one that uh, works with the suppliers. And of course, he checks with me like, you know, these are large purchases. So yeah. he makes sure like, hey, we're, are we good on finances? All that stuff. Um, but those decisions, I really try hard to delegate decision making. And I found that when I do that, not only am I able to delegate and get more off of my plate to work on other things, but it also empowers mm-hmm. the employees. And so they're like, wow, sure. I'm like making this crazy big decision. I feel really good about it, you know? And so it's a win-win when you delegate decision-making. And, you know, a lot of people are really afraid of that. But to be honest, like you got to go out at some point and tell, you know, teach them how to fish, for example, you can't always fish yeah. for them. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I've actually like, kind of like, I, sometimes I would let them make the mistake as long as it's not like extremely costly, because I know that yeah. learning is going to be so valuable that it's almost worth me paying a little bit for that mistake versus, uh, me being like, actually you have to do it this way because of this. Cause then they're like, okay, yeah. I'll just do it that way. But then there's no like reasoning yeah. behind it. Um, yeah. The, the- the the other thing I found is like transparency on like your North Star metrics and their their metrics. So I was speaking to a PPC team today and they're like, no, we don't want to um run a campaign that would go on a brand on like a competitor's brand name search because it's going to ruin our numbers. And well, it's going to ruin our numbers. And I was like, you know, screw it. If that increases revenue, you know, in, you know, month to month revenue, it's a win. We're not judging you by those metrics alone. You need to look at it, the bigger picture. Sometimes they're so screwed on like their metrics, their dashboard without actually seeing the whole. <laughs> exactly. It's, you, you know, you, you spoke to, to empowerment and that is empowerment, you know, that, that access to, to higher level data. So everybody walks towards it, right? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super interesting. So, so you have, so in the community side, how, who, what does your team look like in the community building um, side? Because there, there, there are lots of moving parts. You, you have to acquire like emails. You have to acquire customers off mm-hmm. the back of it. You have to collaborate with other brands and creators. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't advertise. Um, that handicap is a superpower for yourselves. So what does the team look like and how do you sort of manage and orchestrate that front front bit, which is super important for Bernie DC? Yeah, so our team is about five people. And so um, we have mm-hmm. the general manager um, who handles a lot of the operational day-to-day stuff. I, I check in with the general manager about an hour a day, roughly. Uh, and I let him kind of handle most of the day-to-day stuff. Um, we have a partnerships manager who is kind of, uh, I guess, our like hunter in a way. He goes out and, and reaches out to these big creators, reaches out to these big brands. Um, we've actually started reaching out to some um, Hollywood studios now too. 
Um, and so he's kind of, uh, he's really good at, you know, what he does. And so he's partnerships manager. Um, and then we have uh, a guy that is our customer experience guy. So he handles um, all of our tickets, customer inquiries and all that. But then he also handles our community side. And he's not the one actually actively in there, like moderating. He's just making sure that there are no fires or anything weird going on in these communities. Uh, and then we have like our, you know, ambassadors or people that really love us. And they're the ones kind of doing the little more like um, inside each individual community, like making sure that, um, you know, people are not, you know, they're behaving and they're not <laughs> talking about inappropriate stuff and things like that. And then um, we also work with um, a virtual assistant in the Philippines. Uh, and so this has mm -hmm. actually been really, really uh, good for us because all of our back office operations, um, we do that offshore and uh, that saved us a lot of, uh, of money. Uh, and what's mm -hmm. great is, is the Philippines, you know, they, um, they'll do all that, like when you, when you sleep, right? So when you wake up, like all yeah. that stuff is already done for you. And so that's kind of the basic straw. Oh, and then we have a, <clears throat> we have a product photographer as well. So um, he creates product photos and also um, videos for us as well. And so that kind of rounds out the team. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, and and since you have weekly drops, I guess copy is so important. You, you mentioned the the photographer. You, you definitely have to have photos of what you're what you're dropping. Um, who crafts the copy mm. to to make it compelling, both on site and across you know all your comms channels, whether it's SMS, email, or social? Yeah, actually, I, I forgot to mention that one. So we do have a copywriter that we work with. Um, he's from Singapore. And so he does mm -hmm. all the copywriting for our product pages. And then um, the emails themselves are actually written by um, our team internally. And so we don't outsource that because I just feel like uh, it's such a core part of what we do. Um, and like I said mm -hmm. earlier, like newsletter is so important to us that um, we do that mm -hmm. internally. And social media posts, same thing. We, all, we do that internally as well. So um, all the product stuff is outsourced in terms of copywriting. Um, but all the other mm -hmm. communications are all internal because it's our voice. It's our brand. So I want to make right. sure that it's representative accurately. Okay. So you, 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 you have two or three other businesses, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. you have growth jet, mm -hmm. which is the first climate neutral certified third party logistics provider in the world. We need to talk about that. Okay. Then you also have a a pet brand. If I'm not mistaken, it is called Spotted by Humphrey. That's right. Which is um which has got to do with your dog. It's it's a pet brand. And then you you're building a personal brand now, if 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 I'm I'm not mistaken, also. Um just looking up my notes here. That's right. Um, it is, it is, um, it's first class founders. Um, you started that in November mm -hmm. and, um, from my notes, these businesses combined are a, an over $10 million a year business, which is like a nine figure business. How do you manage all these cogs? Um, let's speak first to, to growth jets. Um, 
You started Growth Jet in May 2019. How's that going? Why did you jump into the you know third three PL space? Um, you leveraging your existing facilities for for Urban EDC for for this. Um, do you want to speak to, yes, to that piece? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we realized, you know, when we were doing our fulfillment for Urban EDC, you know, I did a lot of research and discovered the third-party logistics company that had the best reviews. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go with these guys. They're clearly the best. And so we went with them and we had a lot of issues with our fulfillment. I mean, we had like $5,000 worth of goods lost. Um, We've had literally products taken out of the box before it was shipped to our customer. So the way we found out about that is our customer would email us and say, hey, is, is this a joke? I just received a box and it has nothing in it. And so um, that kind of experience really shook us. And I was like, that is terrible customer experience. And, you know, just feel like we could do a much better job at it. And so we decided to bring fulfillment in-house. And when we did that, we actually had a lot of people asking us like, hey, who's doing your fulfillment? Because my fulfillment is kind of our, our, our pain point of our business. And so we decided to take on privately, uh, a few clients to help them with their fulfillment. And so we actually didn't even have a name or a website when we began GrowthJet. Uh, we were just helping out other brands. And then, uh, you know, finally, we're like, all right, let's make this into a real thing. Um, and so we got a website, got a name, and um, we realized that fulfillment business is really, really, um, you know, good, bad for the environment. There's so much like waste, and trash, and so we wanted to do something about that. And so one of our core values for GrowthJet, uh, we made as like being a climate-friendly 3PL. And I think that really resonated a lot with a lot of uh, brands, especially now with um, you know climate change just, just kind of going crazy. And so um, the, the brands that we work with are very, very you know careful about um, working with partners that have these brand values that align with their brand values, right? And so um, that's kind of how GrowthJet was born. And we just moved into a 39,000 square foot warehouse. Um, And so that's been a really, really um, exciting journey for us. And um, yeah, right now we are working with um, a lot of exciting growing brands. And um, it's one of the areas of the business that's um, growing very quickly for us. Interesting. Um, So so how do you get... Um, climate neutral. Yeah. If, if that's the, yeah. How, 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 how do you get climate neutral certified? Yep. So there's an organization um, and it's climateneutral.org. And mm-hmm. they are, they work with other brands and they're actually a relatively new initiative, but they've already gotten a lot of large brands like REI. Um, you know, they've gotten a lot of these big brands to commit to being climate neutral certified. And, and so the way we do that is um, we look at all the expenses and the costs of the business, and then they categorize that into uh, certain different categories. And then you essentially have to buy back the carbon credits um, for that waste. Uh, and so each year we go through, look at our expenses and categorize them and then buy the credits to offset the carbon footprint for the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
what have been your major what have been the major levers okay you you have you have clients in 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 growth jet obviously mm-hmm. um have you seen any growth stories with like whereby maybe you're fulfilling 50 orders a day for for a for a merchant for for, for an e-commerce operator and then that 50 has grown to 500 and has been sustained have you seen any growth stories internally with um with with your clients at 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 growth uh, growth jet oh for sure i mean we've seen new brands that launch and um i guess these situations are a little bit unusual because um you know they launch with a celebrity as a co-founder and so they're mm-hmm. able to obviously have a lot of brand awareness right from the get-go and so these brands will actually mm-hmm. launch and then grow slowly and then all of a sudden you know, it'll explode in volume, in order volume. And so, um, yeah, we've definitely seen that, um, you know, working with a lot of these brands. Uh, Are they only celebrity led or do they tap into other opportunities or efficiencies to to really, you know, grow quite rapidly? Well, to be honest, I think if you're, the the brands that we see kind of from the get-go that launch with a bang like that, uh, you have to have a lot of connections and kind of a network that you can launch like right away. Like here we are, this is a new brand and that's a distribution of like brand awareness. And so mm-hmm. um, if you don't work with a celebrity, mm-hmm. then definitely you'd probably have to work with, um, you know, some like a, like an agency, like a PR agency um, to get your word mm-hmm. out and, and, essentially kind of do, you know, like an announcement. Um, you can also work with influencers. And so if you have a product that you're launching and you've built these relationships with these influencers, you can definitely like give them the products and tell them, hey, on this day, this is what we're announcing. Like um, if you're up for this, like I'll, we'll send you whatever products that you need and, and maybe, you know, monetary value as well. But um, this is what we're doing at this time. Like, please announce it. And, and so that kind of, has this like, you know, like a, like a press release effect where everyone finds out about it at the same time. Uh, and so that's really the only way that I've seen that uh, a brand kind of launch with that kind of bang. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes, makes a lot of sense. And then where is GrowthJet located? Yeah. GrowthJet is in uh, Brisbane, California, which is about 20 minutes south okay. of San Francisco. Okay. Yep. Okay. Oh, wow. It's, uh, okay. 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 So it's not quite Monterey. It's, it's somewhere between San Fran and Monterey. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's pretty okay. close. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's pretty close. Uh, it's, it's, to be honest, it's a very expensive area. Um, and mm-hmm. we're trying to, well, it's, if we were optimizing for real estate, we would probably not be in that area, but, um, mm-hmm. It, you know, it just kind of worked out for us. We found a great space um, and we're really excited. We're going to be there in the, uh, be there for four and a half more years. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. You've also got good people there. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Okay. And then the, the really cute story here, you know, um, the, 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 your, 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 your dog, um, <laughs> Humphrey, mm-hmm. spotted by, by Humphrey. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to speak a bit sure. to, to to that, please? 
Yeah. So, um, my wife and I, so we, we do business together and, um, we brought home a French bulldog in 2017 and we did not expect this to happen, but he gained a large following very quickly on Instagram. And, um, it's funny, actually, one of the first videos that went viral is me holding him, but I'm like cut off from my neck down. So it's just like my torso and like, so my torso has been viewed like millions of times by strangers on the internet. But, um, but yeah, that video kind of, kind of took a, a life on its own and, and that catapulted, um, his following. And so a year later, um, my wife, uh, she quit her job to pursue, um, spotted by Humphrey full time. And so spotted by Humphrey is a, is an online dog boutique curating, um, you know, all sorts of dog products and um you know she has pretty good taste so she's not just bringing in random stuff like she's very picky about all the leashes and harnesses and you know the the treats mm-hmm. making sure that they're healthy and all natural all that stuff um and so she kind of launched this brand leveraging his audience um and so she kind of uh you know she's also a content creator through Humphrey I guess and so mm-hmm. part of that revenue is um you know brand deals, but also the the revenue from the e-commerce shop as well, spotted by Humphrey. Yeah. Incredible. 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 I I really respect, um, you know, what you guys have built to, to date, um, your journey. I mean, finance in the recession, you know, taking that lip lip to, to San Fran, you know, um, Berkeley, Ripple, the early days of e-commerce, you know, it's, it's just incredible. It's incredible. Yongshu. It's, I, I really respect and, and the fact that, um, there's this resilience, you know, your creator. Okay. So let's speak to your final project or your, your most mm-hmm. recent project, which is first class founders, a weekly podcast dissecting the most impactful concepts and frameworks from the business world. I haven't, I haven't listened to it yet. Um, I'm going to check it out, you know, right, right off the back. Actually, let me check it out now. Um, do you want to sort of speak to, to why you, you started First Class Founders and, and do you know what, what you guys are up to? Yeah, absolutely. So First Class Founders is a place where I can share lessons that I've learned building my business. And I, mm-hmm. I've made a lot of mistakes myself. And I, if I could help one entrepreneur out there avoid the same mistakes that I made. I mean, that, that would make me so happy. And so, um, yeah, it's a weekly podcast and I try to keep the podcast episodes very short because I know everyone is busy, uh, especially operators. And so they're about 20 minutes long, 25 minutes long. And I break down kind of a framework that I used or, um, or I have kind of, um, discovered that is very useful for, um, my business. And so a lot of the things that I'm talking about in that podcast, like a framework, I actually apply it to my own business. And I talk about how, um, you know, how and on why I, I use that framework in that situation. And so um, I feel like it's a really unique way to kind of get a sneak peek behind the scenes, um, you know, into how I'm running my business, um, kind of like which growth levers I'm pulling uh, experimenting, seeing what works, what doesn't work, why it failed, why it succeeded. And so that's kind of the, um, you know, the area that is 
kind of my, I guess, playground for experimenting and just sharing everything that I'm learning um, as I'm doing this. So yeah, firstclassfounders.com is, uh, is where you can find the podcast. Yeah, I'm on it now. Um, we're going to link to it in the show notes and I just give you a follow on Twitter. So yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing. Awesome. Right. Before I let you go, every episode, we, we have what's called a, a lightning round where I ask you about five or six questions. And if you could use a single sentence to answer each of them, we'll be okay. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Let us begin. Are you a morning person? Yes, I am. So what does your morning routine look like? I get up, I walk my dog, uh, and then I make myself some green tea, do a bit of med- uh, meditation, and then um, get some, um, some, some work done that doesn't involve email. So it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's deep work. Mm-hmm. Are you into sports? Yes, I'm a big uh, sports fan. I, I, I follow uh, Boston sports. So I, I'm originally from the Boston area. So. Okay, I was going to ask, what, what, what is your favorite sports team? Um, for right now, it has to be the Celtics. It's a basketball. Um, yeah. But I, actually, I, I grew up playing baseball, so I'm, I'm a big Red Sox fan as well. Okay, all right. What two things can't you live without? I would have to say, um, I guess my my wife and my um, two French bulldogs. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic family, family, family. What book are you currently reading or listening to? Book, yeah. So I am reading a book called. Um, it's a book by Robin Sharma. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Mm-hmm. But um, it's these little short stories and um, it's, I think it's called something manifesto. Um, I'll have to look that up, but uh, I don't know why I'm blanking right now. Um, But I will make sure that I have the title for you shortly. We'll figure it. We'll find it for you. No worries. What's been your best mistake to date? I mean, a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. Um, I think it's been, you know, constant iterations and, and kind of listening to customers. And so, um, a big mistake that I made earlier in my career is actually, I bought a bunch of inventory and it like nobody bought them. And it was a big mistake that I made and I had to, um, get really creative about how to get through that inventory. And so I would say to anyone, like just test you know, test first, validate it, and then build. Um, so that would be my advice. Yongsu, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce story. I really, really enjoyed your your backstory and where you are now. Wish you tons of success and, and cheers. Thank you. Kunle, thank you. And uh, one more thing. The book is called The Everyday Hero Manifesto by Robin Sharma, by the way. The Everyday Hero Manifesto. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you, Yongsu. Thank you, Kunle. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. 
Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.